This is Rossi, better known as Chef Rossi, and welcome once again to Raging and Eating. Well, I hope you've been doing a little bit of both since the last time we talked. I myself have been doing a lot of eating and not so much raging, not quite as much as usual. You might say I've been just a little bit mellow, well, at least for me. I always was a mellow kind of chick, but in my adult years, I became a little hardcore. So I've been enjoying taking a little bit of break from being a badass to be a little bit mellow. And I have been attempting to savor the moment. I say attempting, it's a work in progress. But the whole moment thing, I mean, that's a really big deal. Think about it. We spend so much time thinking about the past. And the past, well, that can be full of regret and loss and grief and mourning and what-ifs. What if I had done that and what if I had done that and if only, if onlys really suck. If only I had bought property in the 90s. I do that one a lot. If only, if only, if only. If only I were 10 pounds skinnier, you know? And the future can be full of fear and anxiety and also excitement. But often when I'm dwelling on the future, I'm thinking, oh my God, I have to do this and I have to do that and I have so much to do. I have to cater a wedding and what am I going to make? And lots of anxiety. And recently... While I was visiting my girlfriend, I found myself staring at the ocean. And I was staring at the magnificent ocean. And I could hear the waves and see the seagulls. I mean, it was beautiful. The surfers were out. It was kind of a rough day and a beautiful day. And some of them were doing a fantastic job. I really got to give it to you surfers because I do not have the chutzpah to ride a wave. But in any case, while I was looking at this magnificent thing, I started thinking about what kind of a marinade I was going to use for a beef dish for a wedding that I'm catering two and a half months from now. And I started thinking about, you know, a marinade for the beef and a different twist on buffalo chicken and what else I was going to do for that wedding. And then I started balancing my checkbook in my head. And in the middle of that, I said, what the, I won't put the word in there because I'm attempting to not have a potty mouth, as you know, because this podcast is supposed to be age appropriate for any age. So I said, what the, hmm, would be a good word there. What the Frankenstein? Do you like that? What the hot dog? What the fiddlestick? I like fiddlestick. I said, what the fiddlestick am I doing? Anyway, I'm staring at this gorgeous view, breathtaking ocean and the surf and the surfers in the sky. And I'm thinking about all this chazarai. Chazarai. You got to learn that one. It's kind of like aggravation, but sort of excited Kreplach of ag- aggravation. You gotta be Jewish to understand that one. Anyway, 
So I said, let me stop and stay in the moment, in the marvelous, marvelous moment. And I even had to pinch myself, literally. I pinched my own tuchus, there's another Jewish word, and stayed right in the moment. And stared at the surf and smelled the ocean. Oh my God, it was glory. And all of that I would have missed if I hadn't forced myself out of the future and out of the past and right into the moment. And listen, I can't, you know, get too angry at myself because I didn't really have very good role models for staying in the moment. I mean, the only time I ever saw my mother stay in the moment was when she was playing with her kids, me being one of them. And playing with mom was never really that fun. Like my dad, you know, he was kind of rugged G.I. Joe sort of guy. So he wanted to wrestle and throw different balls around the basketball, the softball, volleyball. But my mom, she was always a bit ill from a variety of illnesses we never understood, quite large and not really able to run around too much. So her idea of a great game was to have us slide down one of her legs and fall onto the floor. Okay, this was a game that was only really appropriate, I guess, up until the age of seven or eight. And she sang this crazy little song. She would say, I play horsey down the street, down the street, down the street. I play horsey down the street. Then somebody move the street. I fall down, boom, and drop us on the floor. So that was entertaining when we were three or four, but it was madly boring when we were five, six, seven, and eight. And to tell you the truth, I think my brother continued to play that game with her until he was about 13, which was kind of weird, but that's another story. Anyway, the thing is, what I loved and the only thing I loved about that game was that she was in the moment. She was so thrilled and happy and excited to be playing with her kids, and she was right there in that moment. And I didn't understand it at the time, that this was what it was like to see mom living in the now, in the very moment as it was occurring. Because almost the rest of my childhood, that never happened. She was always thinking about the past. She'd be in the middle of serving dinner, which was slabs of beefsteak tomato that you could dislocate your jaw to eat, and huge chunks of iceberg lettuce and beef that was generally so overcooked that you had to drown it with ketchup, but then also some really decent goulash and some pretty great, there were some other great things, meatballs. She did a great turkey and rice meatball, but in any case, she'd be in the middle of serving dinner, and that could be a time that we could all be in the moment as we talked to each other about our day, which she would drift off to the Holocaust. And right there in the middle of serving the salad, we had to suddenly, we were forced to go with her as she went back to remember the six million Jews who perished in the Holocaust and the relatives who died in concentration camps and suffocated on the train. Now, I believe that we must remember the Holocaust. We must always remember. 
and honor and cherish and love all those lost and mourn for them. But there's a difference between that and simply not living your life because you're always going back to the Holocaust. And when she wasn't going back to the Holocaust, she was going back to dead relatives. So there wasn't a lot of being in the moment. And if she wasn't doing that, she was leaping into the future, stockpiling enough canned goods to feed Pittsburgh because another pogrom, or that's when they come to kill all the Jews, that's the pogrom. My mother would say, if you ever hear that word, run. But she would stockpile enough canned goods so we could survive the next pogrom or nuclear war. I mean, really, we could have eaten for six months on the amount of canned goods perpetually shoved into our garage. The only thing that wasn't in our garage was a car because it was so full of food. So we almost never got to be in the moment with mom. And the only time... I'm going to say there were only two times my dad was ever in the moment that I saw. One was when he was eating. It was interesting. When he was eating, he didn't want to talk. He didn't want to listen. Now, granted, my father never wanted to talk and never wanted to listen to his rotten kids anyway. But when he was eating, it was even more so. The world would stop. It was like as if all the lights went out everywhere except around him and his dinner plate. It was the man and the food. He was one with the food and one with the moment. Now, this actually could have been a wonderful thing because later on I learned about something called mindful eating. And mindful eating is an excellent way to eat. Instead of rushing through your meal, you stop and you savor and you feel the texture in your mouth and the flavor and you let your nose smell what you're eating and your tongue taste what you're eating and feel the texture and feel every bit of wonderfulness and take your time with it and mindfully eat in a quiet place, not in front of the television, not screaming and yelling, just being one with the food like my father was. The problem was he wasn't doing all that. He was in the moment and he was one with the food. But I don't think I ever saw the man chew. I mean, he just was like a giant vacuum cleaner. What is that? That's an expression, actually. Um, what is it? You hobarded the food? <laughs> he was he just friggin' vacuum cleanered the food. And he bogarted it, too, because he didn't want to share. So that's not exactly mindful eating. That's more like who let the pig out of the barn. And I think pigs are also having the moment when they eat. But all that being said, that was a time that we got to see him living in the moment. And the only other time we got to see him living in the moment was when he was playing racquetball or paddleball. He loved racquetball. He loved paddleball. And the man aggressively played both of those games until he was in his late 70s and he played with men in their 30s and 40s. It was kind of amazing. But then pretty much the rest of the time he was not in the moment. He was drifting off to think about things coming up in the future or thinking about things in the past or just drifting off elsewhere, daydreaming about other things, not savoring the moment. 
So like I said, I didn't have good role models. I remember some years ago when I was in Provincetown, my favorite place in the universe, as you know, I read Eckhart Tolle's, is it Tolle or Tolle? I think it's Tolle. Well, I read his first book, and I think it was his first, The Power of Now, and I never forgot it. And he said pretty much what I just said, that people are always thinking of the past, and that's where sadness can happen quite a bit, or thinking about the future, and that's where fear and anxiety can happen quite a bit, and they're never in the now. So what that means is we're simply never living our life as it comes, as it happens, right in the moment. And I think about that a lot. I mean, there I was looking at the spectacular ocean, and I was everywhere but with the ocean. Luckily, I stopped myself and had to force myself to stay in the moment. What was more interesting even than that was... The next night, in the bedroom, where you could hear the ocean, the windows were cracked and you could hear the waves crashing, I was having trouble sleeping. And I went to turn on my iPhone and put on this app that has meditations and things like that. And it also has a selection of sleep music and music that has the sound of waves something I use a lot in New York to fall asleep. So instinctively, I grab my phone and I put on this wave-sounding music where you hear the waves crashing and you hear the seagulls. and It always helps me sleep in New York. And I started to play it, and then I said, what? What was the word I used before? Fiddlesticks. Was it fiddlesticks? What the fiddlesticks am I doing? I need a better word, but you know what? You know what I'm trying to say. I had the real ocean right here. The waves crashing a hundred feet from my window. And I'm listening to my iPhone for wave music. I mean, this is crazy. I had to laugh at myself. So I turned the phone off. And I said, you know, I'm getting so many lessons about staying in the marvelous moment. And there we have another one. So... After, I guess it was about a week and a half of really having to force myself on many an occasion to stay with the ocean and stay with what I've yearned for. I'm an ocean baby. I've always lived near the ocean. I've always lived near the beach growing up. We lived in Bradley Beach, New Jersey. We were six to eight blocks from the ocean. We lived in Rumson, New Jersey. We were... I guess about a half hour walk from the ocean. We lived in Neptune City. We were also close to the ocean. We were always close to the ocean. And when the wind picked up, we could always smell the ocean. And so whenever I'm near the ocean, inside, deep in my solar plexus, I always say the same thing. I'm home. The ocean is home. So here I am. I finally got myself near the ocean. And what am I doing? of ruining the moment going elsewhere so and you know I had to kind of force myself and I felt a little angry at myself upon occasion because I'm like here I am in Shangri-La ruining it for myself but I was always able to shake it off and force myself back into the marvelous moment 
And I said to myself, you know what? Don't be angry at yourself. Life is a work in progress and so are you. So am I, so are you listening. And you get better and better and better at it. The very fact that I caught myself and just got myself back into the miraculous, marvelous moment shows that I'm improving. Because a younger Rossi, as much as I love the ocean, I think about so many glorious times in my life that I plowed through them. Recently, I had a lot of friends commenting on my Facebook about a wonderful experience I had five years ago on my book tour for The Raging Skillet, my first memoir. My second memoir is called Queen of the Jews, and I do hope you get to read it one day soon. But one of the most fantastic stops on the book tour was when I went back to my home turf. I'd run away from home when I was 16, so I ran away from New Jersey. And I wound up living in Crown Heights, Brooklyn, with the Hasids, the Lubavitcher Hasids, which was really a story that you will read about. And basically never left New York. But the book tour took me everywhere. It took me to Dumbo, Brooklyn. It took me to Book Soup in Los Angeles, Powerhouse Books in Brooklyn. It took me all around the country, fantastic bookstores everywhere, book festivals. It became a play and has toured the country, and now it's going to Sedona, Arizona. Anyway, this whole whirlwind book tour that actually lasted for several years. It's quite long for a book tour. But when I came back to River Road Books in Fairhaven, New Jersey, it was like a full circle tour, and the press wrote it up like that. Chef Rossi comes full circle. And in this adorable bookstore in Fairhaven, all my friends showed up from high school. Well, not all my friends, but a lot of them. Some who I'd seen recently, some who I hadn't seen in decades. And my friend Jenny Weber brought her beautiful mother, Levanche. And Levanche at that point, I think, was about 90 years old and feisty, and she's still kicking. I think, I guess she's 95 now. It's five years later. And a lot of people, a lot of girls in particular, who I'd gone to high school with, who I had not been friends with, and some who I, I'm going to say, felt they were a bit alien to me. They were preppy girls, and I was a punk rock, hard rock kind of chick. A lot of them showed up, too, and the crowd spilled into the street. I mean, it was wonderful. And my good friends from New York came with me, and there was all sorts of joy. And My best friend from high school, Jenny Weber, it was always Jenny Weber, never just Jenny, she gave the introduction, full of love for me. And then I read from my book and I told stories. And the energy was fantastic. It was just amazing. And looking in the front row and seeing LaVanche, Jenny Weber's mom, beaming with pride, the first thing LaVanche said to me is, you're beautiful. Now, when I was in high school, she didn't want me anywhere near her daughter because I was a white trash freak who really seemed like I came from the wrong side of the tracks and was bound to corrupt her daughter. It was actually the other way around, because I think Jenny's the one who got me smoking. I don't do that anymore, and neither does she, but I'm just saying. In any case, 
She said I was beautiful. And another girl who I had not been friends with in high school, and I don't even think, it's not like we disliked each other, but we didn't have any interest in knowing each other. During the question and answer, the Q&A time, she said, I don't have a question, I have a statement. And that is, I really wish I'd gotten to know you in high school. I regret that. I mean, I was almost crying. And it was so much love. You know what, I have to sip a little cabassier because I'm being fancy right now. Oh my God, that's delicious. Why don't I do that more often? Anyway, there was so much love. And the whole time I was there, I felt like I was floating. I felt electric. In my fingers, I felt electric. And afterwards, we all went to Barnacle Bills, which is a fantastic place in Rumson, New Jersey. And we had drinks and bar food and laughed. And I went back to New York with my good friend Charmaine and my good friend Gloria, both of whom have saved me on many an occasion. And I think I floated the whole car ride back to Manhattan. It was a spectacular night. And there were so many times in the night I could feel myself pulling away from the marvelous moment. Thinking in the middle of that, middle of reading for my book, oh, I hope there's enough peanut butter and bacon sandwiches for everyone. I hope I brought enough, what did I bring? I brought Oreo crack, I think. I hope there's enough Oreo crack. And I had to almost pinch myself, no. Stay right here. This does not come around every day. And it didn't. I've had some wonderful, wonderful moments since then. But I have to say, that day at River Road Books in Fairhaven, New Jersey, on the Raging Skillet book tour, was one of the most spectacular days of my life. There was so much love there. So many beautiful, beautiful faces from my life were there and new faces, new faces, people I knew decades ago and never really got to know, and beautiful Kim and Stacy, who I hadn't really gotten to know in high school, and now I just think she's so wonderful. It was such a gift that day, and the reward was that magic that I could carry with me always, and so here today, I've had three different friends post on Facebook that they also were touched and moved by that day. And seeing the photograph of us all together and the smiles, oh my God, just wonderful. And I thank God that I was able to stay in that moment while it was happening. And also, just so you know, if you give a whole crowd of people on a bookstore peanut butter and bacon sandwiches, for the record, there's going to be a lot of mouth noise happening. So don't be distracted by that. And you do have to provide a good amount of beverage. So luckily, I cranked out a lot of white wine too. Although white wine and peanut butter don't exactly mix, I haven't quite figured out the alcoholic beverage that mixes with peanut butter and bacon. Maybe champagne. I'm going to work on that. Although Bailey's Irish Cream, I don't know. You know what? I'll let you know in a future podcast. So... Since we're staying in the marvelous moment, 
What could be the most marvelous thing that you would put in your mouth right now? And please don't get sexual on me. Okay, you can get as sexual as you want, but that's not what I meant right now. So I've been thinking about great, fun, creative things to do with tacos. I'm going to be going to Sedona, Arizona and doing some cooking demos. And I thought, why don't we do some fun things with mini tacos? I'm not talking about big tacos. I'm talking about mini tacos. So I do all kinds of crazy, awesome things with them. I think I already told you about my pastrami Reuben mini tacos, pastrami and half sour pickles and sauerkraut and Bavarian mustard in a mini taco shell. Life is no better than that. But maybe because I'm feeling serene and kind of glorious, I feel also sort of sweet. My sweet tooth is out of control. So I started thinking about dessert tacos for a lot of reasons. One is that I really am not a baker. I never was. I don't want one plus one to equal two. I want to change it and play with it. So usually baking, you have to behave yourself a little bit. And so I'm always drawn to desserts that you don't have to bake, that you can play with. And so what I'm playing around with now Oh my God, I have to drink more Cavassier. Hear that? Forgive me. I needed an excuse to drink more. What I'm playing with now are apple pie mini tacos. Now, how great does that sound? So, you make your favorite apple pie filling. I would saute some apples with brown sugar and cinnamon and butter kind of gorgeous. Sometimes it's fun to throw in a little lemon juice to kind of break off, break away from the sweet. And sometimes when I'm making apple pie filling while I'm sautéing it, I give it a pinch of salt too, so it's not overly sweet. And I prefer brown sugar to white sugar, but you know, you make your apple pie filling how you want to. But the point is, you take flour tortillas and you use a cookie cutter and you cut out these little circles. So you're making mini tacos. And then you get some oil in a deep skillet and you fry your mini tacos. And with a pair of tongs, you kind of close them up a little. So you turn them into taco shells while they're frying. You have to do it while they're frying. First, you put it in the oil so they soften. And then you use the tongs to close them up. You know, kind of fold them like mini taco size. And then you take them out of the oil and you toss them in sugar and cinnamon it's amazing. And then at that point, you can keep them for several days or even a week. But when you're ready to have your apple pie mini taco, you take your cinnamon sugar taco shell and you fill it with your apple pie filling. And now at that point, you could do apple pie tacos a la mode when you serve them and give them a little ice cream. Good Lord, that's fantastic. I'm partial to sea salt and caramel ice cream myself. Ridiculous. Or you could just give it a little whipped cream. You could just go get some Cool Whip or something or make it yourself, whatever floats your boat. Now that's a marvelous moment. You put an apple pie mini taco in your mouth. I challenge you to think about anything else but the flavor and the sensation and the texture in your mouth. You will love that marvelous moment. So obviously you know what I'm calling this episode. I'm calling it Marvelous Moment. And right now, I'm feeling kind of marvelous. I hope you are too. 
Remember, darlings, as I've been saying, food is love and so are you. Have a delicious day or night. At this point, it's night. Wishing you lots of joy.